Hey listeners, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. On this episode, I sat down with Ron Darling, former MLB pitcher, most notably for the New York Mets. Ron is currently part of the excellent broadcast team on SNY and is also an MLB analyst on TBS and MLB Network. I had a great time with Ron talking about the Mets, the state of the MLB during this analytical era, and his experiences in the booth. I think you'll enjoy our conversation. I'm joined by a former MLB pitcher, Ron Darling, a Mets legend and also an MLB analyst on SNY, MLB Network and TBS. Ron, I'm uh, extremely excited to have you on. I just wanted to get started with spring training, obviously starting a few days ago. Very exciting offseason for the Mets, highlighted by the Lindor and Carrasco acquisition. Um, Are there any aspects of this team you want to focus on heading into spring training areas that maybe concern you heading into the MLB season? You know, I, I'm. Uh, it, it's so funny that um, being a former player, you think that um, you know I, I really concentrate on the the little things that maybe aren't there. But I'm just like any other 25 year old guy going to camp, although I'm 60. I'm like so energized and excited, excited every time spring training starts. And I always believe, like I did as a player, that this is the year. Um, so I, I think when the winter was amazing with new ownership and new energy and new front office, it seemed like everything kind of went the way you wanted it to. They might not have gotten all the free agents that they wanted. Um, and then the team is not perfect. No team is perfect. Although the Dodgers might be, yeah. um, the, uh, I, I don't think, um, I heard the other day that I know it's limited tickets but tickets for the Mets spring training sold out in nine minutes. Um, you know, only a, a great rock and roll band does that. Uh, so uh, I'm glad that the fan base is energized. And honestly, uh, Ryan, I don't see too much that's wrong with this ball club. Um, so I, I can't wait to watch them. Yeah, no, I'm very excited as well. I feel like as a Mets fan, obviously you're always excited going to spring training. always think this is the team, but do you think there's a certain excitement from the players too, especially those have, that have already been there about the new ownership. You think there's more of a buzz around that, or maybe that's something you'll be able to sense when you head down there. Yeah. I, I mean, there's very few owners in sports that energize the team and maybe it's just the perfect timing of it. Uh, maybe it's just something new. Who knows? Um, I think the biggest part of it is that uh, um, Steve Cohen loves the Mets and he's a fan. And I think that energizes people who are fans of the team. I mean, at, at, at some point, if you're a fan of the Mets, you want the players and the ownership to love the team as much as you do, don't you? And, uh, and I, I think he really portrays that. So um, 
Yeah, I, uh, I, I just think uh, I've never been around the team as a player or as an announcer when the fan base has been this energized. Um, you know, they were energized when I played, but that was more because of the, the team on the field. You know, it was a good ball club. But this is energized uh, like this is uh, going to be a great circus to watch all summer. I, I think it's, uh, it's real exciting. Yeah, I think, too, as a fan, just the transparency from the front office about what they're trying to accomplish, too, is also very promising. For example, in past seasons, I think if we saw that they were struggling in a certain area at the midway point, we were a bit reluctant. We were a bit um, hesitant that they would actually make the move that we felt they needed to make. Whereas now with the new ownership, we feel as if there's a hole that they'd be able to fill it. Um, Just looking at this team, one of the things that strikes my mind is obviously a lot of teams in the NL might prefer the DH. And that's something that we're still, that is still TBD, but the Mets, especially obviously with Dom Smith and Pete Alonso trying to get as many at bats as possible. Do you think that if there is no DH that we'll see a lot of Dominic Smith in left field? Do you think he could be viable there? Yeah, I think he will be in left field. Uh, no team gets hurt more <laughs> by the lack of a DH than, than the Mets, which is, I don't know, so funny considering um, that they've been a National League team forever and played under the DH rules for 60 games. Um, but no team is going to be hurt more uh, because um, – you know, with the DH, you're able to DH Alonzo. This is stuff that Mets fans know, of course, and Dominic gets to play first. Um, you know, we started the broadcast by talking about, or not even talking about, but we didn't really address uh, things that could be a little bit of a problem for the Mets. And defense could be without the DH. Um, Dominic is a really stalwart first baseman. He's a 50-50 outfielder. And what I mean by that doesn't hurt you but he doesn't really help you. You know what I mean? He's that kind of a outfielder, although he's put in so much hard work. It's, it's not easy um, playing the outfield and um, you know, defensively, I I still think that's a work in progress. You know, Nimmo in center field is an energetic um, athletic player, but his numbers, his metrics, defensive metrics on the corners are much better than center field, but McCann behind the plate, Lindor shortstop uh, should help at least, for the 120 feet um, of, of the ballpark. Yeah, definitely. I don't know what the stats would tell us, um, but even with a guy like Pete Alonso and Nimmo, who would potentially be guys DHing more so, you'd imagine Alonso if they had the DH. And I feel like both those guys are high energy guys that kind of need to be out there. Do you mm-hmm. think, because I mean, given Smith's probably, I mean, is, is the better defensive player at first base. Yeah. Do you think that that would be a major adjustment for a guy like Alonzo spending his time in the dugout rather than being out there with his teammates when he seems like one of those rah-rah guys? You know, Ryan, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I think there's certain guys that can DH, uh, but certain guys get energized by making a play defensively. And I think Pete's one of those guys. Remember, the year he had his 53 home runs, he played first base every day. Um, I think he prides himself on all the hard work he's put in at first base to become a very capable infielder. And when he makes a good play, watch out in his next at bat. So, um, yeah, I think he's a better hitter when he's playing in the field. Um, He might not get that chance. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we'll see what happens. Hopefully, from a fan's perspective, would you, not just from a Mets perspective, but as far as viewing last year with the DH, with the extra inning rule, um, did you like that? Or is that something that you thought was more fitting just for the shorter season? You know, there's two parts of me that there's honestly what 
I prefer and what I think baseball has to do. And, uh, you know, I, I love extra inning games. I'm crazy. Like, if it's 18 innings, let's go to 25. If it's 25, let's go to 30. Like, I want, if we're going to be here, let's make it an historic game. Um, but that being said, I think a lot of folks get tired of watching the game into the middle of the night. Uh, they like the energy of starting a runner on, on first and second and seeing what teams will do. Um, so, yes, I think it's a good rule. I think the doubleheader seven innings, I think, is a very good rule. Um, you know, most announcers around the league, they won't tell you this, but they love the game to be over quick. So, <laughs> so uh, Heath will admit that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so seven innings, uh, seven innings is definitely a, a great start. Um, the DH is something that I wouldn't be like my baseball self. I'm not for that. Uh, but my acknowledgement on what fans want is they 100% to me uh, do not want to watch a pitcher's bat anymore. And it's a shame because the Mets probably have the best um, hitters. I mean, there's probably, I don't know, 10 good hitting pitchers in baseball. Mets have three of them. Um, so uh, that, that's a shame, but that's, that's how people want to watch baseball now. And I'm honestly, there's been change in this game since the beginning of it. And, uh, and if it makes sense, I'm all for it. Yeah, no, definitely on the DH front too. I feel like it's probably more for the casual fan and just making the game a more attractive sport. But, um, even as a big fan myself, if you're going to a game and the Mets are in a, in a jam and DeGrom gets out of the jam and you're down three, two, and then coming up is like McCann Mora. And I know DeGrom's a good hitter hitting yeah. pitcher, but, um, you know what I mean? It's just, I feel like that could be a bit of a buzzkill for the fan base. Um, and then also, I don't know. I just feel like the two leagues, I know a lot of baseball historians may disagree, but I feel like the two leagues should have similar rules. Um, and then on the um, extra inning front, I agree too. There is something about that long extra inning game that is exciting for a big baseball fan. But then at the same time, I guess it is kind of luck too. If you're, if you play a 17, 18 inning game and then roll into St. Louis and now you have no, um, relief pitchers for a day or two. I feel like that could also kill a team that this new rule could help with. Yeah. Um, hey, part, part of uh, being vulnerable over six months is, is having those kind of games. But I understand uh, where teams want to go. And, uh, you know, I haven't done this uh, research, but what you asking the question is going to make me do it. I'm going to see in the starts by DeGrom um, how many games he would have stayed in if there had been a DH. Uh, how many more innings would he have in his career? maybe um, more wins so um, or the Mets more wins. So uh, I'll look into that. Yeah, no, that's a great point. The other point too about the DH where I like not having it is I like to see the NL manager have to manage the game a little bit more strategically, whether it's double switches or yeah, having to decide whether to keep a guy like DeGrom in the game. Um, moving on with the Mets a little bit though, I one of my concerns is definitely the bullpen, which has just been a struggle for the Mets in the past few seasons. Do you trust Diaz as the closer? I know last year he – I was encouraged by the fact that he rebounded after a poor first month, but over a full season, um, if fans are coming back in the stadium, hopefully towards the latter half, do you do you trust him in that role? That's very interesting, right? Uh, uh, as a fan, that's uh, – you know, how will he pitch when the, the stands are full? Yeah, I don't, I don't know the answer to that because we only have that one uh, poor uh, season, and that could happen to anybody. Um, listen, he's got all the tools to be great and be successful. Uh, 
Um, I don't see why he wouldn't be, but it doesn't concern me as much. Uh, the Lugo injury concerns me more than anything else, but it doesn't concern me as much because of the depth of people they have in the bullpen now is that if he struggles for a couple of weeks, they have other people, Trevor May and others, who can come in and, and save the game. And I, and I also think that's the way the game's going. You know, if you watch Tampa Bay in the World Series last year, they, uh, or, or the Dodgers, there's no closer. It's who uh, gets the ball through a, a certain part of the lineup. And that's who's going to get the ball last. And uh, I think that's uh, that would behoove the Mets. Uh, you know, and I think that's why they haven't named the closer yet, is that uh, they want to be able to have it open-ended so they can make a decision that maybe Diaz faces three right-handers in the eighth inning is more important than him pitching the ninth. Yeah, no, I agree with you. This has obviously been an ongoing conversation in baseball, just labeling relievers and having specific roles. I mean, we saw Julio Urias close out the World Series for the Dodgers, who for most of his career was really a starter. I've always just been talking to my family or my brother, who's a big baseball fan. His theory has always been, as far as relievers, that say your starter comes out in the sixth inning and they have their two, three, four up, your best reliever should come in the game. Do you subscribe to that? Or do you think that in the ninth inning, there's that extra pressure and, and that there's only a few guys that are suited for that? Well, I think there's definitely some extra pressure in the ninth uh, because there's nothing behind you, you know? So um, I understand that there's definitely added pressure, but there's added pressure wherever you pitch. Um, you know, I, I'm more subscribed now uh, to if the sixth or seventh inning is going to be huge to make sure let's match up with our, our best relief in that situation. And, and uh, um, if we get through that inning, um, we have an opportunity, especially if it's seventh to not face those guys again, that, that would be uh, amazing too. So um, that's how I'd manage if I was manager today. Um, but that doesn't make it right. I, I think if you have an elite, elite closer, and there's not many around anymore, but if you had an elite closer, I would be tempted to keep him in one spot. Yeah. Well, that makes me think of in an extra inning game, save as the away team saving your closer for the final inning. Do you, yeah. I, I've never been a fan of that. I've always thought you need first, you need to get to that inning. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, no, I, I think that um, you, you, you manage a game to uh, if you have a lead to keep it and uh, whatever that takes and, and kind of uh, worry about the next inning, the next inning. Um you know, I've, I've watched a lot of games in the postseason that I've had to call where I'm watching the closer uh, just uh, sit in that bullpen and I'm like they're not going to be happy with the criticism that comes after this game if they don't get them in the game. So um, I don't know. I, I work in an inverse relation kind of deal. My best guys are coming in. And, uh, and if we go on and on and on and I'm stuck uh, in a strange place, uh, then I'll have to use guys maybe I didn't want to use or um, go, like you said, um, Urias and others. I mean, think about the 2000, what, 17, um, 2017 World Series was closed by Charlie Morton. The 2018 World Series was closed by Chris Sale. 2020 is by Urias. I mean, um, they're closing with starters all the time now. Yeah. I mean, even with the Mets in um, 2015, we saw Syndergaard coming in all the time in that Sorry. Dodgers series too. So I guess maybe that was a bit earlier on, but I know we're diving a little bit into the analytical part of the game. I know Lindor made a few comments, I think yesterday 
um, just the balance between the analytics and the eye test and keeping some of the traditions of the game. I know when I'm talking about baseball, I, I sometimes um, fall into the hole of saying, well, this player is better. His war is higher, um, <laughs> which I, which I hate that I'm saying, but it seems like it's almost fact. Um, what do you think about that? And kind of still having the eye test, obviously the um, Blake Snell situation is a prime example, but of really looking at these players more from what you feel during a game rather than what the numbers tell you. You know, I remember when I was in high school, uh, a friend of mine said, Hey, who wants to go out there and have to earn a, a lot of money, but that's how they keep score. So that's kind of how they, 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 how baseball is now is that that's how it's, it's talked about. Um, but, but I also think, I think what first, what Lindor is trying to address is that analytics makes the game boring. You know, I mean, at some point, you want to be able to let your athletes play. Um, you know, he's not a fan of the shifts. You know why he's not a fan of the shifts? Because he's an unbelievable fielder. And he wants to play in this position and go left and right and make all these amazing plays that you just don't see anymore because of the shifting. Uh, they've done such a great job with ball usually is at right at the person. Um, that's why he doesn't like it, because great athletes – who do their thing, um, you know, it'd be like taking a, an amazing ballet dancer and saying, hey, listen, we're only can do a couple plies here and we're only going to do that there. We're not allowed to do the other stuff. Um, that's that's silly. It takes the artistry out of the game. Um, but really what analytics, Ryan, is, is information. You know, you're just trying to get as much information to hedge your bet uh, that you're um, in a little better position uh, than you would be. And I, I think that's, opti you know, optimization about what you're trying to do is always important, whatever business you're trying to run. Sports, though, I don't know, fans and even players now, they love the business up until the game starts, and then let's just play ball. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people would like to see that, too. Yeah. No, it definitely can take the fun away. Also, I mean, I've heard people discuss – the possibility of banning shifts. I don't know. I kind of, while the shift is frustrating and while as a fan, it, it can be very, um, very frustrating to see someone hit a line drive up the middle right at someone. <laughs> but at the same time, I almost feel like how could you tell these defenses not to play where these guys are hitting it? I almost feel like if you ban the shift and it's like saying um, in the NBA, you have to guard Ben Simmons at the three point line. Like right. you're not going to do that if you don't have to. Um, but at the same time, I definitely understand um, the frustration with seeing four guys on the one side of a base. Yeah. Know? Or you can't play, you can't play nickel defense and football, whatever. Yeah. So the, 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 the issue, um, the issue really is that um, for the history of the game, it always evolves. Right. So when shifts came in, the natural response would be is that we should be producing all these Mookie bets, Jeff McNeil kind of players uh, that hit the ball all over the field but we're, we're not. And why we're not is that we have a lot of these schools um, that are very, very good, but they, they tend to have one theme on how they're trying to teach hitters how to hit the ball. And um, so when hitters come to the major leagues, they're more Joey Gallo than Mookie Betts. And that is they're trying to go up and over the shift. Um, and that's all well and good. You know, when you hear, and uh, for fans who, uh, don't know a lot about the analytics. When you hear barrel rate all the time, 
and they say, boy, he's uh, got more barrel rates. You know, he got unlucky last year. But if his barrels are hit to the pull side as a left-handed hitter, um, he's always going to hit for a low average uh, because he's hitting on the pull side where there's seven uh, defenders in a small area, and it's very hard to find smoke and grass. Yeah, I feel like with the analytics too, you could kind of search around and find what you want. Like I've seen a lot of um, articles on Mets, uh, the Mets Fix Twitter account, talking about how McCann got very unlucky last year with hard hit rate balls and how he really compares three El Muto. So I feel like you can kind of find what you want. I wanted to ask you, Ron, just as a Met fan um, and uh, broadcasting with the team for a while, if I would imagine he is, but what you see from Jacob deGrom, other than his stuff, really, that just makes him so different. If you've ever, um, if there's anyone to compare him to, or if you've ever seen anyone like him mm. on the mound. Well, um, you know, he, he's got a, a lot of different parts of all great pitchers. Um, you know, he's got the determination uh, of a Pedro Martinez. At times, he has the stuff of a Randy Johnson. Um, he has the pinpoint control of Roger Clemens when he was at his best. Um, but I think for me, you know, just watching him is how athletic he makes pitching look, um, how each and every night he has different avenues that he can take to success. It's, you know, a lot of pitchers have one way. And if that way doesn't work that night, it's going to be a bad game. It, it, he, he adjusts and goes down different avenues depending on what the other team is trying to counter with. That's always fun to watch. And the final thing is, is, uh, and they don't really look at the stat, but uh, pitching with men on base, every pitcher pitches with men on base. Now, great pitchers have less people on base. That's natural. But every pitcher has that one or two innings where they've got to come up with that big pitch or they're going to be an average pitcher. And what I mean by that, second inning, bases loaded, eighth place hitters up, two outs. You have to get that out if you're a good pitcher um, 80% of the time. If you're a great pitcher like DeGrom, you get it 100% of the time. And that's the difference is that if the bases are loaded, it doesn't matter. No one on base, he's Jacob DeGrom. He just um, he brings a great athleticism and determination uh, to preventing runs, uh, as good as I've ever seen. Yeah, he's also just got a great feel to him. I mean, I love watching DeGrom get out of a big jam, just always walking to the dugout with his head down. Um, I love his demeanor on the mound. But overall, I've, I've said to people that are more casual baseball fans, I feel like the only way to really appreciate the game and be able to be one of those people that's watching every pitch of every game is if you really appreciate pitching. And I kind of found last year, I think we've been fortunate as Met fans, at least um, the past few years, where usually it's been good pitching, um, maybe struggling in the bullpen and not scoring as much as you like. But last year, for the first time in a while, I think we saw um, our three, four, five part of the staff struggle. And I realized that when certain guys are pitching um, that aren't the younger or more electric Mets pitchers we're used to, it's hard to get up as a fan for that game. <laughs> Just knowing that, all right, well, if we don't score four or five runs, you may not be in this. Whereas years before that, it was either DeGrom or Syndergaard or Harvey, et cetera. And I'm excited this year because I think they have that. But um, as a as someone that's doing the games, do you have a harder time getting up for a pitcher that isn't of that ability? Or is there, is there a part of that pitcher that you enjoy dissecting regardless? Yeah, regardless. Uh, I, I think every, every game, the one thing that when you've done enough baseball, played it and saw it, 
and broadcast it, is that you never know what night is going to be that magical night. I mean, that's the great thing about baseball. It's, it's hard to imagine because you're playing every day. Um, but you never know when Bud Smith threw a no-hitter for the Cardinals. You never know when that's going to happen. And honestly, breaking down pitchers that aren't automatic, like DeGrom, um, can be very fulfilling also because there's not, there hasn't been one pitcher who's ever gone out there and tried to be bad. They're all going out there trying to be great. Um, but sometimes a lack of skill or, or um, you know, being a rookie or being older and not having the gifts, physical gifts that you had before lend itself to different ways of getting people out. And um, I enjoy every single nuance of that. Um, you know, a lot of times when Jacob deGrom's at his best, there's really nothing to say uh, because you as a fan can see it. It's like a runaway locomotive. You just let it go. And, um, but then, you know, like to me, look, going into this season, uh, it's not that DeGrom starts, although I love every single one of them. Um, it's not that Carlos Carrasco stops, uh, starts. I've watched him pitch a lot, called a lot of his games, love what he does in the mound. It's going to be Marcus Stroman to me is that I'm going to really be interested to watch him and uh, a guy that didn't pitch last year and see how he develops and, He's had a very interesting um, and dynamic uh, juncture of his career. And can he deliver that magical season like Bauer did last year and put himself in the discussion of one of the better pitchers in baseball? I don't doubt it. Um, uh, I love his confidence and I love, um, uh, I, I love how he feels about himself. And I, and I hope it translates to a, to a huge season. Yeah. I'm very excited to watch Stroman too. A guy, that I thought of when you were making the point about certain guys can come out of nowhere and have good nights is uh, like Porcello last year, who overall didn't have a great season, but he had a few of those random eight innings, one run outings that came out of nowhere, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, um, you know, Rick Porcello probably deserved better fate last year. Um, defense was pretty putrid behind him, uh, but you know, he's the kind of pitcher that I was talking about before later in his career might not have all the physical gifts he had before, but if you're a really good ball club and you score a lot of runs and catch the ball, Rick Porcello is your guy, man, because you're going to take the ball every fifth day. Um, don't be surprised if a, a real good team here in the next week or so picks him up um, to add to their depth and starting rotation. Yeah. No, and speaking of, I think one more point about the Mets is that I feel with them this year, the X factor to me, and obviously it's a lot of pressure put on him given he was injured, um, is Noah Syndergaard. Just given that if he can come back and be healthy, then I think that turns this good rotation into one of, if not the best rotations in baseball. I mean, it's hard to compete with the Dodgers right now. Um, but I think it's important for him to come back. And I feel like there's the notion that coming back from Tommy John can be extremely difficult. And for a lot of people, I'm sure it is. But I feel like in the past, a lot of players that have come back have actually at least in that first season back have been able to excel. Yeah. Well, I, I think that one, he's going to have a little extra time than most pitchers have had. That's going to help him. Um, you know, he's a physical specimen that helps uh, because of the strength um, that will put him in a better position to excel. Um, this is a big year for him. You know, if he can give uh, his team three or four months of uh, amazing uh, pitching, uh, he's going to be a, a, a big uh, commodity out there next year for 
as a free agent. Um, so I, yeah, I, I, um, anytime you can acquire a Noah Syndergaard at the trading deadline, that's kind of what it's going to be like, uh, is it, pretty amazing. So hopefully the, the Mets, uh, rotation has fallen into a nice flow by that time. Um, there's always injuries, so he'll find a way in there and, um, you know, just like Stroman, I'm going to be excited to, to watch him do his thing too. Yeah. I mean, they're saying, uh, I was just watching a little Mets hot stuff that yeah. the Mets are 85% favorites to win the division. Do you buy, <laughs> do you buy into that? Yeah. I feel like that's a high number. Of course not. I mean, that's a, <laughs> that's the, uh, that's the hyperbole of playing uh, in the New York market. Um, I mean, has anyone watched the Atlanta Braves the last couple right. of years? Um, do you know the dynamic players that are on that ball club? Um, the pitching, young pitching that they have. So um, I, I think, whoa, Nelly, on that one. Uh, the Mets have a really strong, um, solid team. Uh, but the Braves are, have proven that they can be a great team. So the Mets have to prove it themselves. And uh, that's, that's what's great about the game um, is that you have to prove it uh, uh, on the diamond and, and uh, not on uh, S&Y's hot stove. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I know. And I also feel like there's definitely got to be a bit of a difference playing under those expectations. I uh, wanted to get a little bit to your broadcasting career, Ron. Sure. Obviously been with SNY for a while on TBS and now doing MLB Network. As far as the doing the games, is there a large difference or large difference in preparation between those Mets games and the national games, whether it's a playoff game or a regular season game? Yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, there is. Great question, Ryan. Um, you know, I'm doing the Mets games almost every day, so I kind of know the players um, and everything that makes them tick, so I don't have to really worry about that. But what I'm trying to do, um, the two things in a regional sports net, uh, network broadcast is that I'm trying to uh, find the little nuances that maybe not everyone is finding about what's going on uh, with the team. And then, and secondly, and I think most importantly, and this is what we try to do as a, as a group in the booth is that we're trying to, we're trying to add to the narrative of this ball club. So, you know, ch uh, game number 42 is chapter 42 uh, in our book of, of the season. So I pay a lot of attention to that. Now the national broadcast I know the I don't know the players as well, um, but I get to know them as much as I can. Very hard now during these pandemic times. Um, I know more uh, stats on them than I'll ever want uh, because I, I get all that stuff. But what I try to do in a national broadcast, I think the games are so important, um, and and this is not everyone's style. I think uh, you know I love listening to the Tony Romo in the yeah. NFL and, and he's everywhere in the broadcast and, and talking uh, nonstop. And I love that, but football is a different game. Right. And in baseball, to me, it's uh, I try to stay out of the way of a national broadcast game. I'm going to give you everything I think I know about where this game is headed. I do a lot more managing in a, a postseason game than I do in a regular season, regular season. I really don't care about the managing. I let Gary do that. <laughs> but or we can't do that. Um, so I don't really care about that. But in, in the postseason, I really do. I try to think along with the manager who's going to be up in the sixth inning. Um, you know, I had watched Tampa Bay take Blake Snell, Snell out 
three times prematurely before the World Series. So I know if I had done that World Series game, I would have been able to tell a viewer, if he gives up a hit, they're going to take him out of this game. I would have been able to say that with certainty, where the guys that did the broadcast weren't able to. They didn't see all those other games. So it's those kind of things that you're trying to do in a national broadcast that are a little different than the regular broadcast. Yeah, I feel like with baseball too, I feel like the national broadcast is almost the hardest just because these teams play so many games and the fan of each team is, for the most part, so knowledgeable at that team. Whereas whether it's the NBA or NFL, where it's a little bit more so players' leagues, I feel like fans and broadcasters are so well-versed with these teams for the most part. Um, So I feel like with baseball, it could be challenging. Like if you're a fan of the Mets and they're on Sunday Night Baseball, a lot of fans are getting frustrated the entire game, you know? Well, you know, you know what it is, is that, and this works everywhere, is it's not only the Mets. Um, fans who go through the whole summer, every night to get games on TV, they fall in love with their broadcasters. You know, they love watching Joe Davis and Earl Hershiser in Los Angeles. Um, they love watching uh, Eck and Dave O'Brien for the Red Sox. They all love their, na- their uh, local broadcasters. So you definitely have to fight against that. And, uh, you know, listen, I, I always say this, you're always going to get criticism and that's, that's fine. I don't have any problem with that. I, I mean, I was booed off the Mount of Shea stadium by 55,000 people. <laughs> I can take anything. So, um, but I, I honestly do understand, uh, uh, the problem for the viewer of a team that falls in love over the summer with their team, because the local broadcasters are amazing. And, uh, if this helps in any way, um, before postseason starts, I usually have at least a Zoom call or a long call with the broadcasters of that team to try to get and feel for the little nuances uh, that that team uh, will bring. And, um, and that's uh, some of the most enjoyable times before postseason games begin. Yeah. Is it harder to be as ca- – obviously, you guys are very candid on the Mets broadcast, yeah. which I think a lot of people appreciate. Is that harder on a national broadcast? Um, I don't know if it's harder. I just trust my instincts, Ryan. You know, I, I think that, you know, if it hurts your gut, uh, to hold it in, uh, then you got to let it go. And, um, and if, and if it, it makes you feel that angry or mad and nothing, nothing ever really makes me angry, um, other than, um, not trying, you know, um, lacks the daisical effort, uh, I think is inexcusable at, at this level. Um, you know, professional effort is at least you can ask. You know, I remember when I was a kid, I'm a big boxing fan. And it used to drive me nuts when the heavyweight guys weren't in shape. I was like, I mean, at least be in shape. I mean, that's your job, you know. So I, I feel the same way about uh, the ballplayers that, you know, a little hustle certainly is, uh, is an important thing. Um, as far as our frankness on our broadcast, um, we certainly aren't as frank as Tim McCarver used to be in the day when we played. <laughs> where he'd go up one side of us and down the other. Um, but I, I, I think today's athletes different. Um, they certainly don't want to hear uh, three old men uh, talking about um, uh, their, their play on the field. I, I can understand that. Um, but we played at a high level and, uh, and we understand the game at a high level and we're not sharing it with them. We're sharing it with you the people who are watching. So when you throw your beer can, maybe you, not you, um, not, not you, but if someone throws their beer can at the wall or near the TV or, 
or drops it in disgust, we have to answer that to fans. And I think we do that for the most part. Yeah, I once uh, tried throwing a pen at the TV when Luis <laughs> Castillo dropped uh, the A-Rod pop-up. That was, uh, that was a rough night. But no, I wanted to ask you too, do you guys – do you, Gary Keith and Ron, or do you, that's habitual yeah. for me to say, do you guys uh, take the losses hard? I feel like Gary would probably take some of these losses hard. Well, um, yeah, I mean, Gary's a fan, you yeah. know, so, you know, uh, I grew up with the Red Sox. Keith grew up with the Giants. Um, Keith liked Mickey Mantle. Uh, Gary grew up in the stands at Chase Stadium. He's everything about the Mets. So um, he takes them harder, certainly. And, uh, and you can hear it in his voice. Um, I honestly, I don't take the losses or, um, you know, I want the team to win every single game because if the team's winning, that makes you a better broadcaster. You know, the fans love a broadcaster of a winning team. Um, but if, if, the, if the team is losing, um, I think it really is incumbent on you as a broadcaster to explain to the people watching why this is happening and it can be very, very difficult, but no, I, I mean, I don't at the end of a game come home and say, God, I'm going to have to have a glass of wine. That was a tough game. Never, ever, ever. Um, now when I was a player devastated by losses, crushed, uh, by losses. Um, but, uh, uh, I can put that away now. Yeah. No, that reminds me, as a starting pitcher, Ron, um, coming out of a game, how stressful during your playing days is that experience leaving a 3-2 game in the seventh mm -hmm. inning and watching the bullpen try and keep that W for you and the team? You know, you know I, I never felt that, Ryan. Um, you know, certainly you want to win, and if you haven't won in a while, you want it more. But um, I was a big believer in, you know, when you're out there, that, that's when you've got to speak. You know, don't after the after you leave a game, then have a lot to say. When I left the game, um, I wanted to make sure that I left it on the field and I left it on the field. Then whatever happened was kind of karma for me. I didn't even uh, react to it. Um, but I but I, I took I took it very personal that games that I started, my team would win. And uh, and that always made me feel the best. Now, I also wanted to win. But if I didn't get the win and the team won, I felt it was an amazingly successful night. Um, so um, that happened more often than not with the Mets. Yeah. Has it always been a tradition with starting pitchers that if you leave a game with two outs, a few guys on, you're in the dugout until those outs are recorded? Has that always been a thing? Well, it, it's it's supposed to be the thing you're, you're supposed to do because if you left people on base – a reliever's trying to come in to clean up your mess, right? Yeah. So you're honoring him by saying, I'm going to watch you try to pick me up. Um, so it really is kind of a baseball ritual to do that. But I've also played with guys that are mad at the manager for taking them out, um, who have left the dugout. Um, and I've played with a lot of uh, players that just won't watch relievers. Um, it becomes kind of a superstition thing. If you leave the bench and the reliever gets out of it and you get the win, that's what you're doing for the next four or five starts. But uh, habitually it, it is um, you're honoring the pitcher coming in by saying, Hey, you know, sorry to put you in this jam. I'm going to honor you by watching you get out of it. And if he doesn't get out of it, then after it's done, you go and you pat him on the back and say, thanks for trying to pick me up 
or, uh, you know, thanks, buddy. And then as soon as you walk away and you go into the clubhouse, you're throwing everything in the clubhouse. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> um, back to the broadcasting. Are there, is there a certain game in the last few years that stands out to you? Is there a certain Met game that stands out to you as far as just the broadcasting experience, the game itself, or maybe a certain playoff series? Well, yeah, there's, uh, there, there's so many now. Um, I mean, I'm in broadcasting. This will be my 16th year with the Mets. So um, 16, 1600, I've probably done over 2000 games now. Wow. Um, but I, I think because of the significance of it, the Santana no hitter. That was my guess. The, yeah. Cause the Mets had never had one and they had so many great pitchers. And um, I just remember everything about it, that he got to no hitter, uh, that it was someone great who got to no hitter. You know, there were so many great pitchers. I don't know. You just didn't want it to be, the 25 year old kid from AAA who came up for the day to get it. Nothing against the guy like that. He just wanted it to be royalty. And Santana certainly was that. Yeah. That was really his last good moment, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. I've got to ask you just cause I mean, you'll probably laugh at this and it doesn't really make too much sense, but I would always say that Matt Harvey is my favorite Matt that I've watched. I don't know. There's just something about him and his yeah. attitude. Of course, he had two of the worst injuries you could have as a pitcher, but you think it was more than just the injuries that kind of led to his his downfall with the Mets? You know, I, I think it was and, – and uh, listen, Ryan, I loved watching Matt Harvey pitch. There was a, there was a uh, gunslinger-type attitude to how he took the mounds uh, that I'll never forget. Um, it was uh, – I, I think people, because of some of the other stuff that happened – tend to downplay well, how important it was to be in New York at City Field on a Friday night when Harvey took the mound. It was important. And if you could get there, you got there. Um, I would say that the injuries were, um, there were two major injuries, as you said, and they played the biggest part in him losing kind of that S on his cape, right? Um, that was the major thing. Um, all the other stuff, I don't know enough about it to even comment on it. Um, I think that uh, I've played with players uh, that haven't gotten sleep for an entire six months and had all-star seasons. So everyone does it a little differently. Um, some guys are incredibly uh, humble about it. Some guys are very egotistical about it. Some are loud, some are quiet. Uh, some uh, maybe have too much beer, some are teetotalers and Christians. I've been with uh, around uh, all kinds of guys who've had all kinds of success in many different ways. So I never ever judge that because uh, it's not my place to, um, you know, I don't want to be judged, so I'm not going to judge someone else. But to me, uh, you know, he got robbed of his physical gifts by two major injuries. Um, and then the other stuff is is for other people who want to talk about that. That's speculation, and that's not my job. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because even though Degrom is, is potentially the best pitcher I'll ever see, I don't know. There was just something about Matt Harvey mm -hmm. taking the mound on any night that was just just felt different as a Mets fan. I mean, I feel like a lot of people felt that way, and at least for me, my favorite Mets memory is the Harvey chant between the eighth and ninth thing of the World Series that was. Unfortunately, right. short-lived, but I don't know. He always – he was just an old-school pitcher that showed emotion, and I feel like there's not a lot of those guys um, in baseball right now. So 
I'm hoping, then, I'm hoping with the Orioles, he could hold on a little bit. Uh, me too. There also was a time, didn't he uh, face Strasburg one time and people were going Harvey's better or something like that. I think the crowd got that going, um, you know, going out. If you think about this, it might be the line of demarcation because we saw the Blake Snell game in game six last year. Matt Harvey going out for the ninth inning might be the last time in today's modern game we ever saw see a pitcher do that, ever. Think about that, yeah. how much the game has changed, that we might not ever see that again. Yeah, not to run through that situation, but do you think he should have been only had one batter there in that, in that ninth inning? You know, I, I did, but there's many, uh, you know, I, I've listened to Terry Collins talk about it. And after Terry talks about it, I'm like, oh, I'm on Terry's side. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I really have a love for Terry, and I, I think he's an amazing man and was an amazing manager. Um, uh, but in the, in the moment, as I was watching, I understood that he had to let him go out there. It was just it – was, it was too big of a baseball moment, not even a Met moment. It was one of the biggest moments. If he could have pulled that off, that would have went up there with uh, – with, I'm talking about recent history now. That would have went up there with Madison Bumgarner pitching in relief, you know, those five innings. It would have been one of the greatest performances in the history of World Series play. Um, but I still believe to this day that once he walked Lorenzo Cain, and it wasn't that he walked him. He walked him on a 3-2 slider, and you're leading by uh, a couple of runs, or leading by a run, whatever, leading by two runs. In choosing a slider to, uh, that he ended up walking him on, it wasn't that he walked him; it was his choice. And I think I I always think that when you get tired or you're overcome with a situation as a pitcher, because I've done it, you make bad choices. And that choice for that pitch had to be a fastball a hundred percent of the time. You had to challenge Kane and make him hit to get on. And if he hits to get on, that's that's fine. But that choice of a slider to me was he tried to trick him. He made a bad in-game decision. And when you make a bad in-game decision late in the game with lots of emotion on the line, um, that means maybe that um, it's time to go. Uh, so that's how I felt in real time. But like I said, every time I hear Terry Collins talk about it, I'm like, yeah, I would have left him <laughs> yeah, I loved Terry Collins. He could convince me of anything. No, that's really interesting, though. I wanted to just uh, wrap it up with one more question. Obviously, it sure. was um, – I'm sure it was strange doing games last season, uh, specifically away games at City Field. Do you have any stories or just that experience as a whole and how bizarre that, that must be? It, it, it was uh, so bizarre. Um, you know, we would get there and no one would be at the ballpark. We would leave at 11 o'clock at night. Um, there would be three cars in the park, parking lot, uh, Gary, Keith, and, and myself. Um, no fans, complete quiet at City Field. Um, it, it was very eerie. It was kind of uh, something out of a, a horror film, to tell you the truth. And, um, and uh, no emotion during the games, although you know our network, like many networks, is piping it in. Um, you know, it, it, it just was, um, I hope we can get, it doesn't seem like we're going to get back to that this year either. We're going to have the same scenario, but hopefully we'll do a better job uh, than we did last year. And I know a lot of people don't feel like we, we were that short, but I know in our own heads, we felt very short 
in what we usually do. So uh, I don't know if we'll have a clothesline this year, but hopefully we'll come up with a few things um, uh, for, uh, for at least uh, some comedy or parody up in that bullpen to make uh, the games more fun. Yeah, I'm sure it was challenging. I mean, as a fan or viewer, it certainly was still extremely high quality. But Rano, I appreciate you taking the time. Hopefully uh, we'll get a good Met season and see you doing some playoff games as well. So I appreciate it. Well, let's go Mets. And uh, thanks for inviting me, Ryan. This was a, a blast and, uh, and you did an awesome job. So take care. Thank you, Ron. I appreciate it. <laughs>